The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. The only word that should be used to describe closers, especially in a 60-game season. Welcome to our Relief Pitcher Preview 2.0 Fantasy Baseball today on a Friday, June 26th. Frank Stanfield alongside Scott White and Chris Towers. This is definitely not the third time I've tried to do the Open today. (laughs) You didn't punctuate the volatile as much on this third take. And now Chris and I are talking over each other. Some, uh, I've, I've been known to host this podcast. Uh, it's usually, you know, out of necessity and not anybody's desire. But uh, I know how difficult it is to open a show. And Heath Cummings used to always laugh at my show. <laughs> and it's especially difficult when you like script it out and then mess up the script. Oh, yeah. Because few things feel dumber than repeating something to someone multiple times when it's scripted. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's why. Uh, you know, just like with the rankings, we don't have to like me with the rankings. Scott and I don't have to host, so we just get to just to get get to take pot shots. Yeah, I can only imagine how dumb you guys think I am already at this point. I want to start off with this question. It's our relief pitcher preview 2.0. Throw you a little bit on the spot here. How many teams do you think finished with the closer they intended on starting the season with last year in 2019? Oh, I'm, I think I've counted before, but I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm just going to say half of them, 15. Yeah, I think 15 is probably the right number, and the number who had the same closer throughout the whole season is probably even lower than that. All right, so what if I told you the answer was eight? Ooh. Last season, the White Sox with Alex Colome, the Astros, Roberto Osuna, the Dodgers, Kenley Jansen, the Brewers, Josh Hader, the Yankees, Aroldis Chapman, the Padres, Kirby Yates, the Giants, Will Smith, and the Blue Jays, Ken Giles. Those are the eight teams that I counted. Uh-oh, Scott? You know what? Some of those were questionable, I think, going into the season. Like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know that there was... You're wrong to say they were the favorite, but they, <laughs> I don't think any... I, I know for, like, Hater, because uh, Knebel got hurt there in spring training, it wasn't so clear what the Brewers were going to... Like, not, not all of them were, were even considered among the sure things heading into the season, is my point. Oh, you're further proving the point of volatility here at the relief pitcher uh, position, Scott. So why don't you get us started in terms of your overall strategy here? You know, what is your typical strategy in a roto league versus a head-to-head league in terms of relief pitchers? And has it changed in a 60-game season? Are you going to put more emphasis on job security 
in this shortened season? I haven't yet. I've given it some thought. I probably, for the relief pitcher preview, should know exactly what I'm going to do, but that's just not the way. That's just not the way I operate. Sometimes I have to slowly come around to ideas and, you know, we're, we're suddenly struck by this new reality. So I'm, I'm not totally sure what I want to do. But um, traditionally, I am a quantity over quality guy at relief pitcher. If they're getting saves, I don't care so much how they're getting saves. And uh, this allows me to not spend very much on it. Uh, it I'm required to spend more in Roto than than head-to-head, usually, at least head-to-head points, because Roto, uh, ideally, I want to get three guys who are in line for saves, because that'll put me, you know, 30 closers divided by 12 teams. That means some teams will have three, some teams will have two. Some might reach and have four, but that's that's overkill in my mind. So uh, I try to get three. And then in a head-to-head league, head-to-head points league, since there's two dedicated relief pitcher spots and a lot of them are going to be given to Sparps, starting pitchers who have relief pitcher eligibility, uh, you know, I might wait till the last two rounds to take my closers because I know they're not going to run out. The draft's not going to run out of them in that format. So, uh, you know, if I don't fill it with Sparps myself. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not somebody who likes paying up for closers at all. I've, I've, I have occasionally very occasionally done it but when i when i have i've usually come to regret it chris i think this is the season in roto league specifically that i'm gonna go five four and what i mean by that is five starting pitchers and four relievers we've already heard gms come out and say that the first couple of times through the order starting pitchers are going to be eased in they're not going to throw a lot of innings and i think you know having you know the four relievers for me ideally would be three closers and then one fireman type reliever who could just help your ratios like a like a Seth Lugo type is this something that you can see yourself adopting more this season and I'll throw this one your way too should you just punt saves in roto and head-to-head categories this season I think saves is a totally viable strategy this year because the the saves leader this season in your fantasy league might have I mean like what 40 maybe I mean you, you think like the the typical leader probably has around 100. I, I've done that research, and I should know it off the top of my head, but I don't. But, like, you're, you're probably looking at, like, 40 saves for the leader in, in your Roto League, maybe 50. Oh, for the t- – okay. 40 for total. Yeah, for the whole yeah, team, so Combined <laughs> saves for a rotisserie team, 40. Okay. Yeah. And it's just going to go down from there to the point where if you have 12 saves as a team – you might finish in ninth or eighth place and not take a zero or get a one in the category. And so I think it's a totally viable strategy to, to punt closer on draft day. Um, my philosophy at, at closer is always really don't pay for last year's saves specifically, but don't pay for last year's numbers or don't pay for last year's production. And, and what I mean by that is not to look at, Aroldis Chapman being one of the better Kirby Yates being one of the best closers in baseball and say last year and say, well, we can't, can't count on that. It's more one saves are incredibly volatile. And so the guy who gets 37 saves, but isn't all that good. Don't worry about it. Like you, you shouldn't. Yeah. It's don't, don't look at last year's save totals at all. And really, like, if a player has the job, it's all about skill set. 
don't look at like if he had 32 saves last year versus 39, like that just, it doesn't matter. Saves are just total. It's just who has the role and then how likely are they to keep the role, which, which really comes down to quality. It's largely comes down to how good they are, how skilled Um, they are, like you said. And like to kind of highlight a lot of what feeds into my relief pitcher strategy is, you know, Kirby Yates has been, you know, arguably the best closer in baseball the last two years, not counting Josh Hader, who has not been a traditional closer, but Kirby Yates has been incredible. 214 ERA in 2018, somehow managed to almost cut a 214 ERA in half, which is really hard to do. In that time, he's thrown 123 and two thirds innings, which is about 30, a little less than 30 more innings over two seasons than Frankie Montas had last season when he was suspended for 80 games. That kind of sums up the whole thing. When you're talking about relief pitchers, especially for these guys who spike for one year, I, I just, I, I don't want to pay for it. I, there are very few relief pitchers who have the track record that's worth paying for. And I'm not sure I will do that, but I'm always going to, if I'm going to pay for an elite pitcher, relief pitcher, it's never going to be the guy who's coming off a good, the, the best year of his career. Yeah. And saves are just completely unpredictable. I like the point that you made there, Chris, where, you might not want to draft the saves leader from the year before. And I don't think that you should shy away from Kirby Yates, but look at 2016 through 2018, the saves leaders in each of those seasons. 2016, it was Yuri's Familia. He had 51, completely fell off the next year. Alex Colome in 2017 had 47 saves. The next year, he had 12. And then 2018, of course, we remember Edwin Diaz did what he did, and we all remember what he did last season, and it was not very good. We'll get into all of this, uh, but let's start off with some ADP review. Of course, the elite tier, I think it really just consists of one person, and he's going higher than anybody else. It's Josh Hader with a 54 ADP. He's going in the fifth round right now. He finishes the RP1 in both formats last season, had 37 saves, which was third in all of baseball. It was first in the National League. Uh, There is some skepticism here, at least on my part, with uh, Corey Knebel uh, potentially returning in time for the season here. Scott, what do you think? Uh, do you find yourself drafting Josh Hader ever? I, I, I would be more likely to in, in a short season scenario than I would in a full-length season uh, because he the, the one way Hader really stands out from the rest of the relief pitcher crop, and I actually put Kirby Yates in there with them as an elite tier. I don't have Hater all on his own, but the one way he definitely is all on his own is in strikeout totals. I mean, he can have a strikeout total that's, you know, not far behind uh, uh, a lower end. Yeah. Kyle Hendricks, like a lower end strikeout starting pitcher. Um, And if, if the Brewers, uh, if it becomes kind of standard practice around baseball to use a closer, to lean on a closer heavier in an extra short season, kind of the way they're used in the playoffs, then maybe Hader actually even outperforms some starting pitchers in strikeout total. Uh, now, uh, uh, the counter to that is, yeah, I, I'm not that confident he's actually going to retain uh, the closer role for the Brewers, at least not the full-time closer role, because they never really wanted him in that role. They just lost Corey Knebel to Tommy John surgery last spring. Knebel should be back. Uh, I'm worried it's at least going to be a split between the two of them. But Hater's like the one projected closer who, even if he got bounced from that role, he would still have a lot of value in categories leagues because he does stand out that way 
in that way with the strikeouts. Speaking of Corey Knebel, the last time we saw him, he led the team with 16 saves back in 2018. And over the course of 2017 and 2018, Knebel's 40.2% strikeout rate was fourth best among relievers. So he is very talented. He's not Josh Hader talented, but he's up there in terms of strikeouts. And let me remind you that Craig Council is still the manager of this team and was the manager when he used Corey Knebel as the closer as well. Chris, what percentage of the Brewers' saves would you give Josh Hader for this season? What would you project him for? 60? 60%. What percentage of the Rays' saves would you project Nick Anderson for this season? 35. All right. So, me and you are a little bit different there. Uh, I think Corey Knebel actually gets more, and I could see Nick Anderson getting more of the share for the Rays. Why not just wait and take Nick Anderson, Chris? Well, because of what I talked about earlier. Nick Anderson is like one of the spike guys of all time, spike guys. He was a pretty good reliever for the Marlins for about 20, maybe 30 innings, and then got to the Rays and was the best reliever of all time for like 19 or something. Whatever the exact number is, doesn't, it's not as important as the larger point, which is that he went from like he's an older guy who didn't make his didn't make it to the majors until what 26 27 however old he is now cuz i think last year was his first real opportunity in the majors then in half a season he was pretty good uh, but certainly not someone we were talking about for fantasy yeah and, but this is the rays right right but and then for 20ish innings for 2 months mm-hmm. for the equivalent of three long-ish starts for a starting pitcher, he was the best reliever on the planet. He may be the best reliever on the planet. The, the swing strike rate is off the charts. The stuff is incredible. But we've seen this stuff before. And that's not to say Nick Anderson's not going to be good, mm-hmm. but it is to say that skepticism is always warranted for any player coming off a career and in his case it's so much more warranted given the small sample size and then we don't know what the role is yeah I, i i totally agree that skepticism is warranted i i feel like maybe you take it a little far considering the cost isn't actually that high certainly compared to somebody like hater um you know just to tell you just to demonstrate how good uh, Anderson was in those 21 and a third innings. He had 41 strikeouts, 17.3 per nine, and just two walks when, uh, you know, control had been a problem for him previously. And, you know, the Rays, the Rays have now a track record of, of um, figuring out how to maximize a pitcher's skill set. And, you know, at the time they made that trade, they gave a pretty high-end prospect for uh, Nick Anderson and Trevor Rogers, right? Like neither pitcher, like you said, was really a big deal. And it's like, why are they giving up such a big prospect for these guys? I think I have a hunch they must have known what was coming for Nick Anderson if they got their hands on him and were able to tweak their his arsenal in the way that they did. Um, so, you know, I don't know. He's clearly their best reliever now, especially after trading Emilio Pagan. Uh, I doubt they would have traded Emilio Pagan if they didn't have Nick Anderson. I suspect he's going to be the leading man for saves because of that. I would project him for more like 
50 to 65% of the team saves. Yes, Scott. Um, but, and there's a chance you could just be the full-time closer too. Like, like there is for Hader as well. Uh, I, I would be much more likely to wait and take Anderson than I would to take Hader where he's going, recognizing of course that there's, there's more risk in doing that, but there's like risk. You just risk is outrageous for every reliever you'd take anyway. I, I think that, that is fair. Like saying you would rather have Nick Anderson at his price than Josh Hader. I think that makes sense. What I would push back on was the initial question of why take Josh Hader when you can get Nick Anderson. Like, isn't that the same thing though? Kind of, but not really because there's, there's value. And then there's the opportunity cost of not getting a Josh Hader or not getting an elite closer who is locked into the role. Yeah. Because, Yes, we might think that Nick Anderson is the best raised reliever, but let's not forget that in 2018, the guy we were saying was the raised best reliever was Jose Alvarado. And Jose Alvarado was the guy that, you know, in April and May, before he had the, the off-field stuff with his family and, and, and had to leave the team to go to Venezuela, he was the guy who every time he pitched, there were gifs of how ridiculous his stuff was. And like, so I... The, First, for so on the one hand, Alvarado is also that example of how that one year spike reliever may not sustain it for the next year. But it's also he is legitimate competition for Nick Anderson in that ninth inning role. Anderson may have the edge being a right hander versus Alvarado as a left hander. Um, but I just. But so is Corey Knebel for Josh Hader. And we've seen him right, do it before but, successfully. Jose Alvarado's not coming back from Tommy John surgery with no game time to prepare. Like we're, we're talking about Corey Knable coming back from Tommy John surgery, not having a spring training. Well, and then good maybe thing he, taking, only, he only has to throw one inning. So that should right, help him. But like, you know, and usually for a reliever, you're only talking about five or six appearances during a Tommy John surgery recovery anyway, but he's much less like, I think he's much less likely to be very good than Jose Alvarado. Um, and Josh Hader has the job. Like Josh Hader definitely is the Brewers closer right now. And he may not be. I, I mean, he is. I don't, Corey Knable, mm, I don't, don't know, know that you can Corey say that Knable for sure. can currently pitch at the major league level right now. Josh Hader is definitely the Brewers closer. Well, Nick Anderson is definitely not the race closer. I think we can safely say. I think both of those should be non-controversial statements. Whether they yeah. will remain the case two weeks into the season, Totally different question. Yeah, I don't know. I can't confidently say Josh Hader is is definitely the closer for the Brewers right now. And I haven't made this the uh, the swap yet, but I think I'm going to move Josh Hader down out of number one in my rankings just because I don't think that he's going to get all their save opportunities. It wouldn't surprise me if Corey Knebel comes back and takes most of them. In fact, so give me Nick Anderson in the twelfth round rather than uh, Josh Hader in the fifth. The next group in ADP: Kirby Yates. Going in the sixth round, Aroldis Chapman and Roberto Osuna are going in the seventh round. Scott, do you find yourself drafting anyone from this group? I, I haven't done it yet. No, um, but that's that's really where that's really where there's kind of an internal big debate going on with the sixty game season. Even even in even in a points league, let's say where you would be. Uh, probably the most reluctant to take a high-end reliever. Um, you know, your alternative there 
let's say you're used to leaning on Sparps. I mean, Sparps, the reason they have relief pitcher eligibility is because they weren't starting pitchers getting a big workload last year. So um, are they going to be the guys who accumulate, build up to a point where they can go five innings consistently? Are, are they At what point of the season will that happen? Wouldn't you rather have a closer in that spot until it does? Uh, so that's one reason maybe maybe why I have to think about that a little more. Um, and then of course, in a, in a roto league or a head to head categories league, you know, part of, part of the appeal to passing up these high end closers and, and just drafting whoever else is in line for saves late is, you know, maybe they, maybe they're going to be getting their saves with a lower confidence level, but you know, you could always pivot to the next in line. You know, there's going to be, because there's so much turnover happening at the position, there's going to be new saves options emerging on the waiver wire throughout the season. Like you can piece together a stable closing closer core, even if, uh, even you, if you invest virtually nothing in it on draft day, but in a 60 game season, I mean, will there be enough time to do that? Probably not. I mean, you need to, you, you can't afford to fall behind too, too much in saves uh, because you just, you know, squandered your chance to get them early by drafting total duds. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really weighing that, but um, you know, to this point I have yet to draft Osuna or Chapman or even Yates. Uh, though I don't disagree with the order they're being taken here. Chris, I think I'm going to make Roberto Osuna my number one relief pitcher in fantasy baseball this season. He doesn't have the upside of a Josh Hader, uh, but I think he probably is the safest closer in fantasy Such a baseball. Cummings move. Like, are it's, he, he did that last year, right? I think so. It's The whip is ridiculous, too, for Osuna. I mean, you have to realize he's never had a whip above 0.97. He had a career high in swinging strike rate last year. Chapman, you have some worry with the injuries the past couple of years. His whip is not elite. It's been over one uh, in uh, four of the past five seasons. And then Kirby Yates, they were talking about trading him last year. Oh, they're not going to trade him. The Padres are all in on this year. I mean, their owners basically put uh, put the GM on notice that they, they have to be competing this year. They're not going to trade Yates. Roberto Osuna I- for number one. Let's go. I think it's kind of like I'm trying to think of the right analogy. I think it's, it would kind of be like ranking someone like, I mean, it's kind of Scott, you mentioned uh, Heath Cummings, our, our dear friend. He ranked Frank Gore on his running back Mount Rushmore <laughs> for, uh, or no, as his, yeah, I think it was his running back, Mount Rushmore, for yeah. the 1997 through 2019 era, the online fantasy football era. Uh, and his argument was that he's ranked X in points and X in yards and X in touchdowns. And, like, that says maybe, but, like, Frank Gore, it was a ridiculous pick. And I'm not saying Roberto Ozuna is a ridiculous pick. It's an analogy, you know. But Frank Gore was never one of the best uh, running backs in fantasy football. He was always like at best, the seventh best guy. Mm-hmm. And Roberto Azuna is probably not going to be the best closer in baseball this year. Right. But it, if I can give a fantasy baseball analogy, uh, it, it'd be like ranking Anthony Rizzo over Pete Alonso. Or right? it's kind of like 
Hunter Pence was a guy that we talked about like this a lot, where he would always finish like 17th at outfield and would but, never actually get drafted that high. Yeah. You never felt like he excelled. There's value. There's, you get credit for being present, you know, that, that like, like in school. Uh, and I'm sure Scott got a lot of credit for being present. Frank, I'm not sure. You don't seem quite as, uh, as by the book as Scott, but that's a high bar. I got very little credit for being present. Um, and I think Roberto Azuna is kind of that like B plus student who shows up every day and does the work uh, rather than like, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's the analogy I'm going to go with. But there's nothing like, wrong with that, especially like, in a 60 no, game there's, season. There's nothing wrong with like a 1240 <laughs> on your SAT and a and a and a 4.0 grade point average. You know, this is the reason yeah, why I love Javier Baez too. Because uh, he's yeah, like really Baez good is, across the board. But Baez is combustible. Like Ozuna's is just safe. The, the like, only one I take exception to is Ozuna over Yates. If Yates was just coming off a, a one-time event. Where he yeah. dominated like he did last year, okay, I could understand the skepticism. But I mean, he is—I mean, he might be actually the best reliever, even better than Hater in terms of uh, you know if if you're if you're taking you know it's really just the strikeout advantage that Hater has over him, and Yates might have all the other advantages, and yeah. he's for sure the closer on that team. So yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely take Yates over Ozuna, Although, but I have Ozuna third. So the second best reliever in San Diego is a lot better than the second best reliever in Milwaukee. Or I mean, Houston's probably pretty close, but... Yeah, Ryan uh, Presley is great, but... Yeah. Scott, would you say that these three relievers, Yates, Chapman, and Osuna, are the top three in terms of job security? Well, well not Hater, clearly. Um, or were you saying... Yates, you saying Yates Osuna. Chapman, and Osuna. Chapman, and Osuna. Oh, Chapman. Um, the top three in terms of job security? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Man. What do you got, Chris? Like Chapman, yes. I think he's third on that list. And it's less to do with him, although there are some sort of creaky signs. Oh, for sure. Swinging strike rate down 2%. Fastball velocity is down half a tick. The whip, as I mentioned, has been up. He's dealt with knee injuries the past couple of seasons. He's, you know, he's not perfect. That's for sure. Yeah, and the the... The other problem for him is, you know, the number two closer in, in San Diego is better than the number two closer in Milwaukee. And, and that might be a point against uh, uh, Kirby Yates. Well, the number five reliever in New York might be better than the number two reliever in Milwaukee. That, that bullpen is just absurdly deep. Like we talk about Zach Britton, uh, you know, we're t- he used to be the best closer in baseball. And last season he had a 191 ERA and he's back to having a 77% ground ball rate. It would not be at all surprising. Like Zach, Zach Britton could step into the closers role on game one and the Yankees wouldn't miss a beat. And you're you right, could probably say that about Adam Adovino and, and Tommy, Tommy Canley. Can, 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 yeah. <laughs> I always forget. Uh, like th- that, re- that bullpen is just outrageously good. And so they haven't shown much willingness to take a role as Chapman out of the role, but it might not take all that much. 
Next up in ADP, we have Liam Hendricks going in the eighth round. We have Kenley Jansen, Brad Hand, and Taylor Rogers going in the ninth round. Those latter three are separated by three spots in ADP. So basically going back to back to back. Uh, Scott, is this finally the group where you start to jump in on relief pitching? Generally not, no. Generally not. Keep on uh, waiting, baby. I mean, there are a lot of question marks here. I, I, I Chris has been the most critical of Liam Hendricks. You know, rightfully pointing to his track record, pointing to look at what happened to uh, Blake Trinan last year with the same team. Look how often the athletics trade changed closers, all of that. I mean, Hendricks was, you know, beyond dominant last year, though. He was second to Josh Hader among relief pitchers in strikeouts and third, I think was there was even a bigger gap between two and three there than, than one and two Hader and Hendricks. Um, but, you know, acknowledging how out of nowhere Hendricks season was, how likely because of that, that, you know, there might be another change. He still seems like the safest of this group, which is a condemnation of the rest of the group. Uh, uh. Jansen, you know, his skills have, Clearly diminished the past couple of years, and it didn't seem like Dave Roberts trusted him in the playoffs at all. He did work Velocity. with driveline baseball. Yeah. Maybe he'll he'll regain some of his stuff, but I don't think you can draft him under that assumption. Brad Hand had elbow problems in the second half. It really warped his numbers. Uh, Taylor Rogers, really deep bullpen there. And they, they kind of treated him like Josh Hader for most of last season, like the Brewers long treated Josh Hader, where, yeah... Uh, you know, they'd be happy to use him in the ninth, but there are other options they'd be fine using too. So, uh, you know, Hendricks, considering the upside, considering, you know, he doesn't have anyone jumping to claim the role from him just yet. Like, he seems like the best of this group, and yet there are a lot of reasons to be skeptical of him. Chris, who are you most likely to draft from this group? Liam Hendricks in the eighth, Kenley Jansen in the ninth, Brad Hand in the ninth, Taylor Rogers in the ninth. Uh, I'm trying to think of if I've drafted any of them. And I think it might be just Kenley Jansen. There might've been a couple of drafts where he fell, you know, more to like the 115, 120 range. And, and I might've jumped on him, but no, this is not a group I find myself thinking about much, but I will say, you know, if we're talking about the shortened season and the effect that might have, might Brad, Brad Hand not be the kind of pitcher who could benefit from it? You know, he did run out of steam last year and the elbow was an issue. Uh, but through, you know, basically the first two months of the season, which is what we're looking at this year, he had a 119 ERA, uh, a like 0.9 whip, 33 strikeouts and 22 and third and two thirds innings. Like he could be the best closer in baseball in a two month season. And the injury concerns are probably less of an issue when you're talking about a shorter season. He actually was the number one closer for a large portion of last season before the elbow messed things up. It's just the concern for him is he never got right. We, we have yet to have that. Uh, we, we don't have any closure on the situation yeah. yet. So it's, you know, you may get nothing out of Brad hand. His elbow may be uh may still be an issue and, and you uh, may get it's, one it's a pretty month. big investment considering you may get one awesome month from him. And then the, the Indians, you know, I believe he's uh, his contracts up and the Indians are not shy about selling pieces, even if they are competitive. 
Yeah, the final two months for Brad Hand last year, from August 1st on, he had a 6.08 ERA as he dealt with those elbow issues. And I've got to remind you guys, James Karinchak is on deck. And last year in the minors, he had 74 strikeouts in 30 and a third innings. That's <laughs> like, what? That's Who is what, this like, guy, Nick Anderson? He's ridiculous. And what I love that, him. Like 20K per nine? Yeah, if you look at his K per nine on Fangraphs, for every it's 24, 21, and 21 for the three levels he was at last year. So that's stupid. Just keep that in mind. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts for relievers here, guys. Let's start it off with sleepers. Scott, who's a sleeper for you at the relief pitcher position? I'm gonna go with Giovanni Gallegos. Um uh, I, I, there's another one I want to highlight. I'm good, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go with Mark Melanson. Aha. Homer. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think people are genuinely sleeping on the potential Mark Melanson could have as the Braves closer. Obviously, a, a team that expects to be in contention uh, could provide a lot of save opportunities. And, you know, they uh, the reason people are skeptical of them, the main reason is because the Braves, their big signing this offseason was Will Smith, the Giants closer last year, who is a more talented pitcher than Mark Melanson. But I think the gap is less than people are getting credit for. Because remember, Mark Melanson had a good three or four year run between the Pirates and Nationals where he was considered an elite fantasy closer. Then he had some arm problems after signing a big contract with the Giants. Second half of last year, uh, it seemed like he finally recaptured that form. He was an elite control pitcher again, elite ground ball rate. The Braves uh, actually took on all of his contract uh, in, in a trade for him, which you know leads me to believe that their scouts saw that he was back on track because the, the numbers didn't really show it yet. But he went to the Braves and he thrived, and he was their closer in the postseason, and they they plan to keep him the closer. And uh, you know it actually helps that the season is short; he has less time to falter and for them to make the switch to Will Smith. I think there's, I think there's a better than 50% chance, actually. He is just the closer all year long, especially since Smith might be the only left-hander in that bullpen, depending what happens with Sean Newcomb. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, he could... He, he's he's honestly a, a dark horse pick to lead the majors in saves, given the, the team he'll be closing for. The previous two seasons before he before last year uh, with the Giants, you mentioned he dealt with some arm issues, a 3.78 ERA and a 1.52 whip with 7.8 Ks per nine. So hopefully he's past that. Uh, and it looked like he was last year with the Braves, um, but still some risk. That's why he goes as late as he does. He's a sleeper for Scott. Chris, who's a sleeper for you? How about the active reliever potentially most likely to go into the Hall of Fame? Craig Kimbrell. You know, all that stuff I said earlier on in the show about how you should be skeptical of really, really good spike seasons for relief pitchers. That is also true of really, really bad relief pitcher seasons. And I would make the same argument for Edwin Diaz, except in Craig Kimbrell's case, we have really, really good reason to think that last year should just be a wash. He didn't get signed until June through no fault of his own. It wasn't like people were like, Whoa, I think that Craig Kimbrell guy is not good. It was, I don't think that Craig Kimbrough guy is worth a four-year investment for $80 million. And those are two very different things. Um, and then he came back after, I think he made two or three appearances uh, in the minors to come back. 
was thrown right into the closer's role. Wasn't great for sure, <laughs> but he also then went on the IL with a knee injury. And so it's just like, it could be that Craig Kimbrell is just done. And those 20 and two thirds, like it's kind of like what we talked about with Corey Kluber. It could be that those 20 and two thirds innings that he threw last season, where he had a 653 RA, that's just, this is who Craig Kimbrell is now. Sorry, Cubs. You wasted $70 million. That seems pretty unlikely though. Or at the very least, it seems really unlikely that we can say with any degree of certainty that that would be the case. And so I think, there's a lot of regression you should build, build into what Craig, Craig Kimbrell did last year. And maybe he never gets back to being that. I'm just well, laughing at the, it's just such an, it's an easy name to mispronounce. It's like a tongue twister. Craig Kimbrell? Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> yeah, Craig Kimbrell. Um, and so I, I just think it is, in my eyes at least, it is much more likely than not that Craig Kimbrell is still you know, maybe not the like second coming of Mariano Rivera that he used to look like at his peak, but the very, very good, basically elite closer he was in 2018. And he's the, what, 16th closer off the board right behind Rysel Iglesias? Like, come on. Hopefully he stops doing that little arm thing. Maybe that'll help him, you know, become no, a better... That's, Why? His, that's <sighs> his thing. So frustrating. Like As a Yankees fan... Every Red Sox closer always had, like, Jonathan Papelbon had the face. He was like, like, he would just always look, oh, gosh, that guy. And then Kimbrough with the arm. I was like, why do you, they always have something. It's hard to call a reliever who has, in my opinion, great job security and is the closer for his team a sleeper. But that's exactly how I feel about Ken Giles. He is the 14th relief pitcher off the board, according to ADP. I have him ranked as my sixth relief pitcher. This season, he was phenomenal last year, a near 40% strikeout rate. His 18.8% swinging strike rate was fourth best among relievers, a sub two ERA, a 1.00 whip. And I know Adam brings it up a lot back in 2018. Yes, he had an ERA over four, 4.65 to be exact. But in non-save situations, he had an ERA over nine. So just don't use him in non-save situations. Uh, I think the skills for Ken Giles are elite and you're getting him outside the top 12 relief pitchers right now. Scott, who's a breakout candidate for you at relief pitcher? Uh, it's probably Nick Anderson. That's the one I wrote about in, in Breakouts 2.0, which will be out soon. But since we've covered him thoroughly already, I'll, I'll use this chance to highlight Giovanni Gallegos, who uh, was amazing last year. was amazing in a setup role for the Cardinals. If... if uh, they didn't have to find a role for Carlos Martinez, you know, as, as well-regarded as he is in the bullpen, and which ended up being closer, obviously. Uh, Gallegos probably would have been the one stepping in as the closer once uh, John Hicks, or Jordan Hicks, sorry, got hurt, had Tommy John surgery. Uh, obviously, Carlos Martinez going back to the rotation this year, so there's that closer opening again. And although they haven't, they haven't just announced it's Gallegos' job, they, you know, they're four or five candidates that get discussed for the role. None of them make sense. <laughs> it's like Gallegos is far and away uh, the best of those choices. Now, you know, after the delay, Jordan Hicks, you know, he's closer to returning. He did have his Tommy John surgery much later last year than Corey Knebel did. So I don't think we can just count on him being back and being ready to reassume, uh, resume closing. But, um, you know, that obviously does 
present more of a threat for Gallegos than anyone else in that bullpen does. Um, if that means Gallegos gets discounted more, though, I'm, I'm all the more happy to invest in him because I, I just don't think it's realistic. If, if Gallegos is the guy from the start and if he's doing what he does, I don't think it's realistic for Jordan Hicks to overtake him later. Uh, Gallegos had 93 strikeouts last year, a .81 whip, 231 ERA. Um, you know, maybe maybe the Yankees didn't let, win that Luke Voigt trade after all, because Gallegos is who they got back in it. Hey, hey, maybe hey. The Cardinals got back in it. Hey, Luke Voigt's been pretty good too here, Scott. I know. A 0.81 whip for Gallegos last year was tied for the best in baseball with who? Josh Hader. Chris, you might have the same breakout candidate as Scott. Who do you have? Yeah, I, I need a ru- ruling first. This is a relief pitcher preview. Uh, and we haven't really mentioned the names of any relief pitchers who do not pitch in relief. Are we <laughs> keeping that theme going? Oh, no, you could go because my breakout is Kent Maeda, So Yeah, because like Kent Maeda is a great one. Jesus Lazardo is a great one. Julio Arias is a great one. Like Those are some of our favorite breakout picks at starting pitcher as well. And so it's kind of cheap to go with them. I 100% agree with Giovanni Gallegos. And... Giovanni Gallegos might be the answer to why take Josh Hader when you can just take Nick Anderson later. It might just be, we'll just take Giovanni Gallegos even later. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, he wasn't quite as uh, dominant with the strikeouts as Nick Anderson was last year, but uh, the sample size was bigger and he was better at most other things. Um, so yeah, Giovanni Gallegos, I definitely agree with, but like, actually you know what those sparks might have just have less value now like this was shaping up to be the year of the spark and it might end up being a year that sparks as a class are less valuable than ever uh because yeah their value comes from volume their value comes from the fact that if jesus lazardo is even like the 40th best starter he's gonna outscore most number two closers mm-hmm um, most weeks, at least. Now, I, I, I brought that up earlier, maybe a little yeah. too early for the relief pitcher preview, uh, because I think it's a good point. Uh, it's worth noting that it's it's a points league specific discussion, as yes. as the concept of Sparps generally are. Like, I, I think it's pretty clear Luzardo's value has gone up in a categories league uh, with the delayed start to the season. But in a points wow. league where volume is so important, maybe it has gone down at least relative to the relief pitcher. Pool I think because, that's the key because a closer is going to their value. Hasn't changed at all. Yeah. Their, their, their usage shouldn't change. Uh, their, their, their potential impact from week to week hasn't changed at all. I do think though, there are a couple of exceptions to the idea of sparks losing value as a whole. And they're, they're Kenta Maeda, whose workload we expect to be higher than ever this year. And uh, Carlos Martinez, who is, you know, kind of kind of different from most Sparps in that he kind of just took a year off from starting, but he's well established as a as a top of the rotation starting pitcher who should yep. uh, be able to go deep into games fairly early. Yeah, just a reminder: Sparp is SP as relief pitcher in head-to-head points leagues, and it's kind of a little cheat code that you have there in fantasy baseball. I'm actually anti-Sparp. I don't think that you should play with Sparps, but but that's if, a philosophical thing. Oh yeah, that's a, if your league allows it, then you should 100% use it. That's how I feel yeah, about it. But maybe not maybe not this year, unfortunately. Yeah, because early on in the season, you have to imagine, you know, starting pitchers are not going to go 
deep into they're games. Never, they're and they're never going to get quality starts for right. like at least the first couple of weeks at the yeah. very least. And that's part of the appeal of, of Sparp and a head to head points league is they have the ability to get that double count of the quality start bonus and the win bonus. They, but, they might not, even, most of them might not even go enough for a win, the minimum five. Yeah. And that would be, you know, that's 10 potential points between the win and quality start that you're, you're leaving on the table. I will just, well just start a middle reliever quickly mention that with Maeda, like all twin starting pitchers, I've said this all along that I am targeting twins pitchers because a, they don't have to face their own lineup and B they get to face the tigers and the Royals consistently this year. Uh, Kenta Maeda's 14.6% swinging strike rate was seventh best among pitchers with at least 150 innings pitch. There's no doubting the talent. It's just, will the twins finally unleash him? Let him be free. Let him be the Maeda we want him to be. All right, quickly, guys, let's just uh, mention our bus here. Scott, who do you have? Uh, it was pretty... I was pretty strongly leaning toward Kenley Jansen uh, until, until the word of him working out with driveline baseball and maybe recapturing his fastball. I mean, he still obviously has bus potential. Brad, ha- Brad Hand has bus potential. Liam Hendrick. I mean, you could, you could make a bus case for just about any reliever. The one I actually feature in my bus column, though, is Hater, just because he's going for so much. And, like, I can't recall a time the consensus number one reliever, uh, there was that much concern about him losing his job from the get-go, you know? So and it's just... Boom! I, I think that's going to be my pick here. There were trade rumors this offseason. Let's not forget that. There were rumors that the that the Brewers were looking to move on from Josh Hader, not because, you know, they, they don't like him or they think he's about to, you know, implode, but just because he's about to get really expensive for, for a team that has a lot of expensive players. And so... You know, if things go south for the Brewers, and I think there's a pretty good chance that they do, uh, given, you know, I think the loss of Yasmani Grandal is a more significant one than most people uh, assume. Is he your bus pick, Chris? Is he your bus pick? In my relief pitcher preview column, which I'm going to update and republish uh, today, yeah, he is my bus pick. I think... Across the board, break out the brooms. Liam Hendricks is definitely 1B. I agree with that. Yeah, the A's just consistently do not have turnover at their closer position. Josh Hader, we spoke about it a lot early on, but I'm really just worried about Corey Knebel. It has nothing to do with Josh Hader himself. All right, let's take a quick break there. When we come back, we'll look back at some ADP here in our Relief Pitcher Preview 2.0. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. All right, we're back here on Fantasy Baseball today. Let's go right back into ADP, the next group that we were up to. A very interesting group. Edwin Diaz, Ken Giles, and Hector Neris all going in the 11th round. Rysel Iglesias, Craig Kimbrell, Brandon Workman, and Nick Anderson all going in the 12th round. We have not found a range where Scott is actually drafting a closer yet. He's smiling. He's nodding. We may have found that range. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I live in this area, which isn't to say I always get a closer from this area. Sometimes I wait even longer, but it's, it's, this is where I set out to grab my first closer. Let's put it that way. And if it's Giles, you know, I'm, I'm throwing a party over that one because I'm with you, Frank, that Giles is, uh, seems very much underrated based on the kind of numbers he put up last year and the skill he's always shown. Um, but, you know, Sometimes I just, I don't grab him in time. I have not, I, I have yet to draft Edwin Diaz because I see a lot of downside there. Like, I don't think he has much job security. He could bounce back and be the best closer in baseball again. And I know Chris likes drafting him a lot, but at the end Especially of the Especially in season, the shortened season though, Scott. I mean, originally yeah. in the longer season, I liked him, but every well, game matters. The thing about Edwin Diaz is like we should know pretty early on whether he's going to sink or swim. I mean, as much as you can say that about any reliever, I guess, because he just didn't have a slider last year. And whether it had to do with the seam height on the baseballs or or, or what, he just didn't have it. He gave up a ton of home runs, um, and they just couldn't keep him in. the. As much as they gave up to get him prior to the season, they just couldn't, the Mets just couldn't keep him in that role. Went with Seth Lugo there at the end. Uh, they're going to go back to Diaz at the start of this year. If he blows a couple saves in the first couple weeks, it's probably done. If he doesn't, he's probably golden. Um, but yeah, it's it's the investment is just a little too high for me considering. Even acknowledging that Nick Anderson is going in this same range, I, you know, I, I think worst case scenario, Anderson gets like fifty percent of the raise saves when so Diaz thing, could get hardly any of the Mets. The thing with Diaz is. I mean, he gave up a 622 slugging percentage on his slider last year. It was 230, 234 the year before. Uh, he gave up 12 extra base hits on 74 at-bats that ended with the slider. And given that 28 of those at-bats ended as strikeouts, it was basically like one in four non-strikeout at-bats that ended with the slider were an extra base hit. That is awful. On the other hand, he had a 387 Woba allowed. He had a 272 X Woba. And the, when you're taught, this is another thing with relievers that makes them so hard to judge is like, he threw 363 sliders and basically like probably nine of them accounted for an overwhelming majority or an, a, maybe not an overwhelming majority, but like a way disproportional share of what went wrong with the Edwin Diaz season. It was basically like he gave up four doubles last season and no home runs in 2018. He gave up six doubles and six home runs. It, like it's basically just, that's the difference between Edwin Diaz in 2019 and 2018. Uh, the fastball wasn't as good as well. You know, overall he just wasn't as good, but the point is that a very small percentage of his actual pitches thrown accounted for a large proportion of the runs allowed. And that's not to say it will definitely be better this season, but 
the margin to getting back to being arguably the best closer in baseball is really slim. This is basically the make or break group, I think, at the reliever position. Diaz, Giles, there's upside there. Neris, even. Uh, Joe Girardi is his manager who typically, you know, does have one set closer uh, with the Phillies. Uh, Rysel Iglesias, originally someone that I liked, but kind of like Diaz in a shortened season, there are some names behind him. I'm, I'm kind of waning a little bit now, Scott. We've gone the opposite way. I've talked yeah. to you into him, and now you started drafting him in our mocks, and now I'm kind yeah. of pulling off a little bit because, I mean, if he does blow any saves early on, they, they have some other names there, and Lorenzen and Amir Garrett and Pedro Strope. I, I would say that Hector Neris, Brandon Workman, and now apparently Rice Iglesias, those are the, those are the most likely relievers mm. to be my first reliever mm. because I think all of them have good job security workman isn't isn't entirely proven and um you know his walk rate was really high last year he, he thrived on a historically low batting batting average against which is a little scary but the case for him and naris is like who else is going to do it in those bullpens you know it, you know it's funny because the most the closers i'm most likely to draft first are also in this group and they have zero overlap with the guys that you mentioned. Edwin <laughs> yeah. Diaz and Craig Kimbrell are the closers I'm most yeah. likely to draft first. But I think this is the best range for closer on draft. I have um, gotten I have gotten Kimbrell a few times. Yeah. I think I think sometimes people just see him as radioactive. And I don't I don't totally get that though. Yeah. You know, it there is a chance he's done. Yeah. Um and, you know, given the upside, it's it's a low risk investment. Uh, the the one thing I do want to point out on Ken Giles and we all love him. And we all think the guy, I have no concerns about performance. I, I think like he's gotten a bad rap for like a, a handful of high profile meltdowns. Houston didn't seem to be the right fit, but there are, you know what? There are a lot of problems in the Houston Astros organization, as we have learned over the last year or so. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't Ken Giles fault that he didn't fit there. But either way, the issue for him is that it seemed like last season, there were like three different points where it, it he was, like close to being sent to have surgery on his elbow. And then they were able to just like, Oh, just rest for a week and come back. Um, but it does seem like he's more risky from a health perspective than even your typical pitcher. Uh, I, I do want to clarify. Giles is the one I want most from this group. He's just usually gone before I get around to taking my first reliever. And that's why it more often ends up Naris Workman or Iglesias instead. Pound that table. Pound that table. The next group that we see is rounds 13 through 15. Hansel Robles, Alex Colome, Archie Bradley, Jose LeClerc, Will Smith, Kenta Maeda, and Giovanni Gallegos. Guys, I, I typically avoid this group. Hansel Robles really came out of nowhere last year. Entering last season, he averaged nearly four walks per nine. Last year, it was below two. Alex Colome, I am just waiting for this guy to implode. Maybe it'll never happen. I just think his underlying numbers are not good. Archie Bradley, I don't think is great. Jose LeClerc walks too many people. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos, I'm not convinced, is going to be the closer. I kind of think that Jordan Hicks is going to be the guy there. I do not draft from this group, guys. Oh, I do. I draft from this group a lot. And, and, <laughs> Hansel Robles, I actually don't have that many shares of him, but that is the 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 kind of closer I tend to go for a lot. Just you know, this guy, where did he come from? He won't do it again. Like just that attitude causes him to get pushed way down when you know he 
he's clearly the guy. The numbers look fine. The chances of him losing the job aren't significantly higher than any other closer. Why, why not? Uh, so, yeah, he, he's somebody I'd be happy to have as my second closer. Um, but, Scott, they have Ty Buttry. <laughs> that was my failed Michael Kane. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get yeah. it as a drop. I do. Um, I've got some work to do on the drops. Uh, Will Smith might be the most underrated reliever in baseball. He's great. You know, it's just, I, is I he going to get saves? Say things like that without actually having considered the context or the other possible names. But <laughs> he's just man, got a big contract this offseason. Will but. Smith, but like, I, I guess it's because he hadn't been a closer really before last season uh, and sort of the second half of 2018, but he's been really good when he's been on the mound for five straight years. Like his worst season in the last five is a 335 ERA. Uh, otherwise, he's been 276 or below. Usually not an elite whip, but has been much better over the last couple of seasons. Elite strikeout rates. Uh, like He's really good. He's just not the closer. Yeah, it's it's dumb that he's going ahead of Mark Melanson. Yes, yeah. very Especially much. when saves is a commodity, uh, a, a scarce commodity uh, that we talk about every single year. Guys, Kenta Maeda is in this group. We mentioned him as a spark, and we had a brief discussion during our sleepers, breakouts, and busts, but um, who are the other sparps that you're looking at this year? It was shaping up to be the year of the spark, but give me the top five, six, seven, however many sparps for this season. So the order I actually have them ranked, I, ha- I actually have Carlos Carrasco, number one, who uh, kind of like Carlos Martinez has a long history of starting. It's, it seems like it's, it, it's possible he could be a guy who opts to sit out the season because of uh, concerns over the virus and his um, immune system. Uh, but, you know, if he's there, he's, he would be the top guy for me. Then there's Jesus Luzardo, of course. Uh, Julio Arias, who's kind of in the same boat as Luzardo in terms of workload concerns, but also upside. Kenta Maeda, Carlos Martinez, Josh James. I really love his upside. He's supposed to be the fifth starter for Houston, but you know some walk issues, and you wonder how deep he's going to pitch into games, especially early on. Adrian Hauser, who I have a sleeper as a sleeper for the Brewer- Brewers. I mean, the workload, the workload concerns are just implied from this point on. Uh, AJ Although, Puck, tons of strikeout potential. There's one guy who doesn't really have workload concerns. Okay, who is it? Ryan Yarbrough. You know, I, it, the Rays were kind of starting to go away from the opener anyway. He is still relief eligible, uh, but it did sound like the opener wasn't going to be a significant part of their plans this year. Um, he started half of his games last year as opposed to only six of 38 in 2018. He is not a high upside option. But there's a little bit of Kyle Hendricks to his game. And if you're talking strictly as a spark, as a points league relief pitcher who that that or starter who you can use in that relief spot, he probably won't be the type of pitcher who has significant workload concerns, at least early on in the way Julio Urias or Jesus Lazardo do. He hasn't thrown a ton of innings in his career, uh, but it's not necessarily it's not the same thing as Lozardo or Arias who do have age and injury concerns as well. He's he's such a weird guy to size up. Um, 
skill set's weird. The way the Rays use him is weird. <laughs> I, I, I actually think I might prefer him to follow an opener because it means he's lasting later into the game and, and you know, more likely maybe that he can secure a win that way. Um, I just, I just tend not to even mess with him because of that. But yeah, he's a spark. AJ Puck, who I mentioned, uh, there's, there's a lot of others. I mean, there's still a lot of interesting sparps. Uh, Corbin Burns is a high upside guy. If he wins a rotation spot for the Brewers, Sean Newcomb, not as much upside as Burns, but kind of in the same boat for the Braves. Dustin May, who will factor into the Dodgers rotation at some point. Nathan Avaldi, who I know some people like as a sleeper, developed a curveball. Um, there are even a few beyond that, but those are probably the only ones you're going to touch in a standard mixed league. Let's just wrap up our discussion on closers here, guys. And after round 16, you've got a, a real fun group here. Ian Kennedy, Sean Doolittle, Joe Jimenez, Keone Kella, Mark Melanson, uh, Brandon Kinsler, Wade Davis, Hunter Harvey, if he is the closer. And then you have a bunch of Giants relievers and you have a bunch of Mariners relievers. So, <laughs> <laughs> Scott, you, you already mentioned uh, Mark Melanson as one of your sleepers. Are there any other relievers in this range going after round 16 that you typically target? Man, this is my wheelhouse. This is, uh, <laughs> these are closers two and three usually for me in a roto league. Sometimes Mark Melanson's been my number one. It means uh, my plan has gone wrong, but uh, that's not uncommon. On your Toutworth team, didn't, wasn't Brandon Kinsler your first closer? Oh, no, no, no. Or Brandon Davis? Kinsler was, I think, my third closer. Oh, okay. Uh, but I got him very late. I, I actually love drafting Brandon Kinsler because I think, yeah, he hasn't been officially anointed the Marlins closer, but he's presumed to be. And, uh, you know, Don Mattingly, kind of an old school guy. Kinsler has a stable enough track record that I think he could just stick in the role without much, uh, without much uh, um, conflict. And uh, nobody wants him. Nobody at all. He goes, sometimes there's a three round gap between him and like a Joe Jimenez or Ian Kennedy or somebody else pretty scrubby like that. So, yeah, I have a lot of shares in Brandon Kinsler. Um, is Sean Doolittle part of this group? Because I've started to draft him a fair amount. I think he goes a little early. Oh, you know who I really like from this group is, is Keone Kella. But could um, be traded a month into the season. He could be traded, yeah. But he has a few years of team control left, right? So it's not a foregone conclusion. And he's, he's really good. And he's obviously the Pirates' closer. So I think he tends to get overlooked. Is Jose Leclerc in this group? Jose Leclerc was in the previous group, okay. and I am scared to group. death of him. His walks yeah. are just so... I think his walks are over five per nine in I, his career. I think... I just don't know why there's reason to be more scared of one closer than another in this range of closers. I mean, I get, like, Wade Davis, because he so obviously shouldn't be his team's closer. <laughs> had an ERA over eight last year, and Scott Oberg was really good. Uh, but even in that case, like, Nobody wants Wade Davis. So, you know, take him with your last pick and maybe he bounces back. I mean, he obviously has a great track record. It's it's just a no risk, no risk uh, um, play. Chris, I've heard you talk about Sean Doolittle. Is that your guy in this group? Uh, I do like Sean Doolittle quite a bit. Um, injury concerns are always an issue with him. But I do think he's the most likely player to lead the Washington Nationals in saves. I think he's the most likely 
reliever on the Washington Nationals to be very good. Uh, so I am a fan, but you know, it's the end of the show and uh, you go to a concert, you get to the end of the show, you, you start getting used to certain things, you know, the encore essentially. Encore. And I'm going to play a hit. I'm going to bring it back at the end of the show. You know, who might be the most underrated reliever in baseball, Tony Watson, Tony Watson has for the most part in his career outside of last season, really been very good and not gotten credit for it because he's never been a closer he's a lefty but he's not a lefty specialist uh before last season he had an eight-year run with a 267 era uh 8.2k per nine so not elite but good control uh 1.08 whip tony watson if he's healthy and he wasn't last year and you know he was coming off of a shoulder issue but he was expected to be ready for opening day the first time you know if he's the Giants' closer, it's not a great situation. It's a great ballpark. And he has, for the most part in his career, been a great pitcher. And so if he's healthy, I think he could be a very useful option as the Giants' closer uh, to, to help you out with some ratios especially. I will just quickly end with relievers that can help you with ratios and holds if you are in any types of leagues that use holds as a category or saves plus holds. Uh, Seth Lugo, Dylan Batances, Emilio Pagan, Ryan Presley, the Yankees guys, Adam Adovino, uh, who was the other gentleman you met? Zach Britton. Tommy Canley. Tommy Canley. Uh, Yusmero Petit, Will Harris. And then, I mean, even some you know long relief guys like Ross Stripling, I think Corbin Burns potentially has more value uh, this season than ever before. Scott, will you be drafting these players more than usual? Because I've seen the fantasy industry at large just kind of talking about this more recently. Yeah, I've seen it too. I don't think I, I don't think I will. It's, it's so easy for things to go so wrong for a reliever over a short period of time. And the reason these guys are uh, middle relievers like they're not they haven't done it as long or as well as the guys who have been anointed the closers are generally speaking i i just think i don't know it, it just seems like a very risky strategy i understand why it's more viable in a year like this one than the average one but it's it's still asking for a lot of things to go right and i think a more straightforward approach is probably the easier path uh, before we go, I did, we, there are two closer situations we haven't really commented on yet. Uh, the Mariners, I think Matt McGill is probably the front runner there. And the Orioles, it's between Michael Givens, who uh, never really took to the role last year. Yeah, Brandon Hyde was kind of good. Yeah. It, well, he wasn't very good last year anyway. And Brandon Hyde uh, didn't want to go that route. They, they've really been talking up Hunter Harvey, former all star closer Brian Harvey's son, this spring or back in spring. And uh, he may end up getting the majority of the saves there. He's becoming kind of a trendy sleeper pick. I think it's still technically spring. It sounds uh, like there's a party going on in the background of someone's house. I, there's I a toy being squeezed. We got a chewy uh, <laughs> delivery and one of the toys was a squeaky toy for Stevie. Uh, when, when you talk about these relievers that can help ratios and holds uh, or these long relievers, I think that the key would be to try to identify a, a good pitcher in that role which most of these guys are but also one who has a path to a more valuable role and so one guy that we haven't mentioned in this show that i think is worth mentioning is aaron bummer 
Uh, love it. You, love it. You mentioned with um, Alex Colomay how there's just, you just don't trust him to remain the closer for the White Sox. You don't trust him to be good. Well, Aaron Bummer, you know, they gave him an extension this, this offseason with guaranteed money for a left-handed reliever. So they seem to view him as an integral piece. He's probably the closer if and when things go wrong for the White Sox. And, you know, I would also just throw in a personal favorite of mine, Corbin Burns, who has some of the best stuff in baseball. And, I mean, throw him in the ninth inning. I think he could be dominant. But either, but that's not likely to happen. But if he becomes a starter, I think he could have a ton of value. Love the bummer call there. That's where we're going to wrap the Relief Pitcher Preview 2.0 for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.